This is the On the Banks podcast, presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Greg Petuto. As we sit here on what's going to be a rainy beginning of the week on Tuesday and Wednesday, as the weather gets nicer later in the week, we can all reflect on the fact that Rutgers football is 1-0 for the third consecutive season after its victory over Boston College in week one and a victory that was unexpected to say the least. It was an ugly game. It was a hard-fought game. Um, Like I said, ugly at times, well-played at times, back and forth to a point, a lot to uncover during that game. Um, I'm joined later in the show by longtime On the Banks contributor David Anderson to break down the Boston College matchup and touch on the Wagner game. While it doesn't have a lot of juice, touch on um, some points about the Wagner game, but really focus on different aspects of the Boston College victory. And there's a path now to 3-0. Rutgers was 3-0 last year in the non-conference. They have a chance to be 3-0 this year in the non-conference. And when looking at the next two games, Wagner and Temple, it would be a catastrophe if Rutgers was not 3-0, and especially following this victory against Boston College. This is a time for the team to ride momentum and to take advantage. And while football has started, other sports have been in action for a couple weeks now. Um, the women's soccer team continues to roll, is now remains undefeated. They have outscored opponents 10 nothing over the previous two games to move to 6-0 and on the season and remain in the top 10 of the rankings. But this now feels strange that the position that they're in at number nine, considering they moved up to number three in the rankings after the first week of the season and now dropped six spots after an undefeated start, feels a bit strange. That's not something you would feel would that's not something you would see happen in in other sports. You know, you don't see an undefeated basketball team or undefeated football team drop a decent amount of spots after a hot start. So it's a little strange to see Rutgers kind of dip in the rankings there. But this is a team that will undoubtedly be near the top for long. So they shouldn't. This on paper, this doesn't look great. It's not. A, it's a knock on the NCAA once again. Um, fans have a right to be upset, but. Still, this team is rolling and is going to continue to roll. Allison Lowry leads the team with four goals along with Sam Kroger. Riley Tiernan doing what she does best, three team-high three assists. Um, that's also tied with Sarah Brocious, and the play in net is as strong as it's ever been with Megan McClendon. There's just a lot to like about this Rutgers women's soccer team, and they continue to roll as Big Ten play approaches. Field hockey, of course. We discussed the the two losses in the battle on the banks to ranked teams, Duke and St. Joe's. They were able to bounce back on the, their home field again against LaSalle with a 2-0 victory. But the win on Friday against UConn was an impressive one. First of all, because of the defense. Second straight shutout in the one nothing victory, a game that went to overtime. And being able to beat a top 15 team after the tough start is something that um, Rutgers should not take likely. That was a huge bounce back win after the difficult start against Duke and St. Joe's. So 
that kind of shows the the toughness of this field hockey team, the potential of it, and really what you're going to see over the course of the season. Because as I mentioned last week, I believe the schedule does not get easier when you look at you know Princeton and Delaware, Michigan and and Northwestern, along with Iowa. Um, our top five teams, Maryland's a powerhouse. There's a lot of talent, especially in the Big Ten schedule that Rutgers is going to face. So that was an impressive victory to kind of get them off the snide as well. The men's soccer team split the openers with two straight ties after that. MD Myers continues to roll, um, really leading them in that last game, scoring two goals. He has a team high four goals on the season. Nobody else has more than one. So having him back this season is a big boost to that Rutgers team. They'll be back in action on Friday. And the volleyball team, after their 3-0 and start in the College of Charleston tournament, went 1-2 and during the Townsend tournament, but split on the final day after a loss to Radford on Friday, was able to beat Morgan State and then um, drop a tough match to Townsend, the home team, on Saturday. They'll be back in action in another tournament on the road as the volleyball team hits Chicago for the Loyola Chicago tournament, taking on Kansas State St. Thomas and hosting Loyola Chicago. So a lot to like about the Rutgers athletics program, where they are as a whole um, during this fall season, especially when you look at the field hockey and women's soccer team chances to build off Big Ten championships and get back to where they were. And again, hopefully this is an omen for things to come in the winter then into the spring it's just the never-ending cycle when you look at the position that Rutgers athletics is in it's a good one nonetheless and the football team of course if a 3-0 start to this season would mean more than previous years and that's something I dove into with Dave and something I will discuss as well following my interview with Dave I will be giving some of my opinions and some of my thoughts on the opener so a lot to touch on here on the On the Banks podcast. And before we get to my interview with Dave, we will take a short break. I am now joined by longtime On the Banks contributor, David Anderson. Dave, thank you for joining me today. Good to have, talk with you, Greg. Following a victory. Yes, I was just going to say, Rutgers is 1-0. Hard-fought game at Boston College, obviously. Rutgers is able to get out of there with a victory. Before we get into the on-the-field action, stuff that we saw, what we liked, didn't like, all that good stuff, what does 1-0 mean to this team, in your opinion, um, especially this season? There are a lot who had this game as a loss on the schedule, um, tough team against Boston College with a lot of expectations, and a Rutgers team that might not have had a lot of expectations coming into the season. So to leave that game with a victory, what does that mean to the team moving forward? Yeah, so I think it, it's similar to kind of professional football where you just got to extend your season as long as possible when you're playing meaningful games. So this gives them another week of playing meaningful football, regardless of what happens later in the season. Uh, you know, obviously playing meaningful football for this team is going to be chasing a bowl bid. So from a team and from a fan interest standpoint, that's really going to go a long way. Now, in terms of their mantra of keep chopping, like that was going to continue whether they won or lost. And we can get into, you know, that how narrow that margin of victory was. But you just got to keep extending that window of meaningful football for your fan interest as well as for your team to be locked in. And I mean, I can't explain how far this goes. It's basically along the same lines of the Syracuse game last year, if not more, considering it was the first game. It is that you've been seeing a lot of uh, Boston College being linked in now with that Syracuse game from last year and, of course, the 2020 opener um, while in the Big Ten still 
a game in East Lansing that they might not have been expected to win against a team like Michigan State. Um, and the return of Greg Schiano, obviously, in those three years, kind of bringing Rutgers back um, slowly to not exactly what they were, um, you know, a decade plus ago. But like you said, playing that competitive football that fans want to see. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to jump and just talk about coaching? Because we already hit on the Shiano element. Do we want to talk about coaching in this game? Yeah, I feel like we have to in terms of what we saw early on, um, whether it was decision-making, play-calling. Um, a bit of over-coaching in that first half could have led to some poor decisions um, and the in-game adjustments that were made, not even just at halftime in the locker room, but on the on the field, on the sidelines, in that third and fourth quarters. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the idea of overcoaching. I mean, Shiano always talks about, you know, you got to be able to empower your players to play fast. And if you're in, pro- if you prepare properly, then the game is obviously just going to flow naturally. But at the beginning, it seemed like the Rutgers coaching staff was trying to do a little bit too much, getting a little too cute. And I understand a lot of the things that Sean Gleason did. He, he received some criticism for this game, but. When you look back at it, he, his two main goals were accomplished outside of obviously winning the game. One is they put enough fear in Boston College that they had to really be aware of Gavin Wimsett running to the perimeter that that did open up some some things in the middle of the field. And then and also with their passing game, they did just enough, barely enough, to put enough uh, – ideas in the head of the Boston College defensive backs that they couldn't just crash the line of scrimmage. Like, even on that last drive, Boston College waited way too long to go into basically a cover zero. They were they were in a cover two and cover one, and then by that time, Rutgers was just rolling down the field. And that was because they did see a couple passes. I mean, there was one key one uh, to Victor Kanapka just over the second level of defense, so the linebackers knew they couldn't totally creep up like that. That happened early in the game. And then, of course, so so setting them up was one thing. And then the other thing Leeson did was he timed it just enough to when she went smash mouth football, Boston College was out of gas. So on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, his two major objectives as the game went on, he, he did accomplish. So we have to give him credit for that. Uh, did you have any more thoughts on Gleason or did we want to talk about the defense, which obviously made some great adjustments as well? We'll get into the defense for sure um, because what they did, especially along the defensive line, was extremely impressive. Um, Sticking with that two-quarterback system that we saw, that was obviously something that Greg Schiano uh, preached in the offseason, said that the team was going to do that. They weren't going to name a starter. And we couldn't really have expected that battle to, you know, have one guy really run away with the job over the other. And we saw that obviously Noah Vedral um, missing the first game. That will add a new wrinkle um, moving forward. Can this, is this something that you believe can be sustainable over the course of the season? Do you feel like it's beneficial for this Rutgers team um, with the different skill sets under center to use multiple quarterbacks? Or at the end of the day, is it possible um, and better to name a starter and kind of let him run the offense moving forward? Well, of course, what the coaching staff would say is that the players decided. And having you know played football, I can tell you, I played one season where our quarterback was definitive. And then I played another season where, you know, the locker room was kind of split. And if the locker room's kind of split, then you really want to kind of play two quarterbacks. Now, do you have to switch them every single play alternating? I don't know about that. I think that I don't think that's going to work against, you know, the Iowa's and Nebraska's of the world that they're not going to have the fear 
of Wimsett running and gouging them for 50-yard runs like some of these earlier opponents will. So I don't think going on a play-to-play basis will have the same impact. I think once you're playing those type of teams, you know, obviously it will – you're basically just then deciding, okay, this particular series, we're going with this particular quarterback. They're aware of the formations we're going to run. We prep them for this series and go with that. So I, I would say, I think it depends on the opponent, but playing two quarterbacks in general, I, I think is totally fine until you have a guy who the team, full team is behind this one guy as your, as your quarterback. I agree. It feels like Rutgers, especially the quarterbacks themselves in that quarterback room, but the team um, believes in whoever is out there under center. There's really not one that is gaining you know more attention, more more hype than the other one. Um, obviously, Wimsack coming in as the highly tatted recruit, Vedral has ran this program over the last two years, and Evan Simon kind of being that unknown. He appeared in six games last year, but obviously in a limited role. Um, and really, all three of them do different things well, which is something that I think is very interesting when you look at um, the possibilities for this Rutgers offense. Um, and of course, the offensive line, really a new group, one that um, a lot of transfers coming in, they were aggressive in the transfer portal, um, waiting for that unit to gel. It could take some time. What did you see from them in week one? They seem to be better um, in the run game for sure than they were pass protecting. Yeah, I thought... And basically, I kind of did my own scorecard before I checked, you know, the pro football focus grades, which I think for offensive line are usually one of the easier positions for them to rank. Uh, we'll get more into linebacker and how I think that was not even close to the correct assessment. But on the offensive line, I mean, J.D. Durenzo had a good game both in the run and the pass. Ireland uh, Brown had a good game in the run and the pass. Holland Pierce was the only tackle on either team who was not a complete turnstile in pass protection. And I, I thought, you know, it's hard for these big linemen to cover blitzers coming from the outside, especially when they're just using a full-on speed rush. And I think Holland did a good job with that. Uh, in terms of Curtis Dunlap, he and Willie Tyler really struggled in pass protection for the exact same reason. Boston College was stunting and twisting and sending a lot of guys with speed rushes, but at the same time, um, I think Kamar Missouri got a couple reps at left tackle. He wasn't too much better in pass protection, but I don't want to rag on Tyler and Dunlap too much because they were just mauling people in the run game. I mean, basically it got to the point in those last few drives where Boston College wasn't even sending anyone towards Willie Tyler because he was just completely demolishing whoever it was out of the play. And Dunlap, same thing. Rutgers could get two, three yards behind him at any time. It was the best guard run blocking I'd seen at Rutgers since Caleb Johnson, where any time they needed two, three yards to complete a third and short, you can either go behind Dunlap or have him crash down with Brown, and they were able to to get something out of it. So, I mean, I'm curious to see what happens with pass blocking if they have to pass, like if they're in a desperate situation. But if they can play these games like most of these big win, big big tent west teams play that are low scoring and you you have the ability to keep running the ball for the majority of the game i, I think they're going to be effective um I, I will add real quick though on the Rutgers got a heck of a game from blocking uh other skill position players i mean victor kanopka probably had the two biggest blocks on the final drive of the season wide receiver blocking was on point i mean these guys were working real hard. And I don't think, honestly, Boston College's skill position players did enough for them comparatively. So a uh, credit to the offensive line, but it was a team effort. 
And you mentioned the games against those other Big Ten teams. If Rutgers isn't a team that's going to outscore many uh, many opponents, so going in there and being able to play strong defense, being able to run the ball is something that is going to benefit the team in the long run, obviously. And the run game, it looked pretty good. Kyle Manungai looked strong um, on Saturday. Al-Sadi Salam is going to play an effective role for sure, using his speed and explosiveness, which is something that Rutgers could look to to um, utilize because that's something I feel like they've lacked in the past. Um, Aaron Krunchek obviously being the player that he is, but Salam could add a role on this team that's very interesting and kind of give them that second explosive role over the course of the season. Yeah, I think we were exchanging texts and emails about this. Basically, what Rutgers are trying to do is have as many of these different skill position speed guys that can get to the perimeter as possible. So even though Salam is a running back, I do think he's going to form kind of the same role that Bo Melton played with Aaron Kirkshank in terms of the guy they're going to try to get the ball to the perimeter with. So with with Melton, he used to take a lot of reverses. Um, and with, this, with the blocking on the perimeter, then Salam is going to have room to run. Now, I don't think... He's going to have room to run early in a game if the other team's got a good defensive line and they're holding at the point of attack. But like you saw in that final drive, if the other team is getting pushed back off the line and those creases and angles open up, Salon's going to be able to run into space. And that's something we haven't seen Rutgers been able, be able to do in quite some time. I mean, probably since Josh Hicks, Robert Martin tandem uh, back in 2014, were we able to see those perimeter runs open up like that. So, and Salam can take advantage. I, I love Manungai. Aaron Young is a solid end-to-end running back, but none of them possess that extra gear that Salam showed in today's game and had shown in the spring game as well. Before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, um, I want to touch on Johnny Langan as well and his overall role on this team. Obviously, he took the first snap of the game um, as a quarterback, a, a running play for Rutgers. Um, he's been working out at tight end. We've seen him throw the ball a little bit. Um, really, they're using him as just an offensive football player, um, blocking as well. What's what's his best role? Where do you feel Johnny Langan will be used most of this season? I think the most effective play they used him in was that play. I think they did it twice. One was on the final drive. It was kind of like a jet sweep because if you utilize him in that role of a motioning tight end, he can do three different things on a play. He can four different, really. He can block. He can take the ball and just run with it. He can inside. He can take the ball and potentially run it to the outside, or he can actually take it outside and throw the ball with an easier angle to make a pass because it's going to be really tough for defensive backs to cover all these things. So if he's coming across in motion, you're going to have some crossing routes that are open because they're going to have to respect him running the ball. So I think you're going to see a lot of that slot H-back type action from him. Uh, Again, he's still not a true quarterback, but he has the ability – to throw the ball well enough if receivers are open the defenses are going to have to respect it and he's just such a powerful runner on the inside you're going to have to use that opportunity especially when defenses are playing a big nickel maybe they're only using two linebackers i mean he's going to run over some safeties and that goes a long way from momentum the team's confidence and just those extra yards that Rutgers was able to pick up went a long way in the game this weekend moving to the defensive side of the ball um visually starting from the top to the bottom with the secondary. And this is a group that got a lot of criticism following this game. Um, You know, Max Melton giving up um, two touchdowns. Zay Flowers had a big game. Um, They did come up with two interceptions. 
but it seems like this was a bit of an unfair assessment in my personal opinion. Do you agree with that or do you think that this secondary Absolutely. has some ways to Absolutely. go? I, I thought that, okay, Melton. Okay, the, the main thing that I look at this game, let, let's, let's actually start with the tight end coverage first because I think that that will illuminate a little bit more this point. I mean, basically what happened was on Rutgers side, they're throwing the ball to Victor Kanopka. There was two passes where he just was basically a basketball player. There was nothing the Boston College defensive player could do because he's just, you know, six foot seven, six, eight, and just basically boxes somebody out and gets the ball. On the similar thing, when you're Rutgers defensively, they struggled covering a tight end as well. But most of those throws were were really, really good. I mean, I think that twice Austin Dean was picked on as a linebacker because obviously uh, Jerkovic, the quarterback for Boston College, is quite good. And he's like, all right, I know that I'm going to be able to throw. If I place this ball properly, this guy's going to catch it. So with the tight ends, I think that was why Rutgers struggled a little bit in coverage. It wasn't that there was coverage was bad. Now, moving to the wide receivers, I think it was similar for Melton. He was in great position on several of those plays. I don't think that people realize how good a coverage that was a few times. When you take – people say it's a cornerback gets burned. That was, you know, Trey Avery last year against Michigan State where he's six yards behind the guy and the receiver can slow down and Justice Rao has plenty of time to make a play. That was not what was happening yesterday except for the zone coverage where Flowers came all the way across the formation and scored the, the second touchdown. That was the zone coverage anyway where there was just way too much time. But I think it was like seven or eight seconds when he received that ball. But other than that, I thought coverage was was pretty good for the most part. And the scores were obviously hurt by the fact that you're facing an NFL quarterback, a guy who's going to the NFL, a guy who's going to be playing in the NFL as a wide receiver. And for the most part, they pretty much shut everybody else down. So I, I, don't, I don't, again, almost all good teams in college are going to throw for 300 yards a game if they have any sort of passing attack at all. And they held Boston College to, I think it was 283 with, with this type of skill position talent so i think it was overblown obviously like we've seen plenty of records good defensive backs over the years that maybe struggled at different times like again avery was playing hurt last year so i'm not saying that maybe max melton isn't as fast as he was like i don't but we're gonna have to see more games i think to say he got quote burned several times that's just a fallacy i agree it's like you said a lot of box score watching it seems um happened following this game in terms of the numbers that flowers and jerkovich were able to put up um, but then you look at the rushing attack, Pat Garwo, another talented skill position player that Boston College had really held in check. They ran for, you know, what was it? 29 yards in this game. So yeah, up front carries for 29 yards as a team. That's unbelievable. That's something in the big 10. If, if it's sustainable again, that you're going to win some games, you're going to win a couple more games than expected. If you can hold teams to that number. Um, so up front Rutgers was strong. We'll get to that defensive line, obviously. And, um, that impressive three and out that they forced following their long touchdown drive. But I want to start with the linebackers as well, going from per- perhaps the highly, the most highly touted position in the secondary to the one that gave the most, um, question marks at the linebackers. Um, what do you see from them? An inexperienced group, really one that, again, hasn't worked together, hasn't gotten a ton of time, but has been in the program being able to develop and progress over the years. Yeah, well, let me start with Deion Jennings because people are giving him a lot of praise. When I watched it in real time, I wasn't overly impressed with how he played. But then when I on the rewatch, his run pursuit was better than I expected. I've always been a big Deion Jennings fan because I think he's pretty good in coverage. And Rutgers has lacked linebackers who can cover anybody for a while, even though they've been strong in the run game 
Uh, they have struggled there. But what I noticed was with Jennings and then Tyreen Powell to some extent as well, it's really hard for the linebackers when they don't really know how far the defensive line is going to be pushing or getting pushed back. Like they need to calculate where they're going to position themselves to take the proper angle to make a play. And that was actually pretty hard. I thought they did an unbelievable job on the rewatch because sometimes Rutgers defensive line was crashing offensive linemen so hard that like, I don't, it would be very hard for a linebacker to see, okay, where should I even make this pursuit angle? So there's a couple times where Jennings got, got washed down or c- caught in the wash, but he still made six tackles. Tyreen Powell, I mean, all the hype there was justified in the offseason based on one game alone, obviously. Again, we'll have to see how he performs against the Big Ten. But, I mean, he was just taking on offensive linemen. He was staying with, you know, chasing down skill position guys. So that speed and power combination is something – really haven't seen much of some of the more recent linebackers. They don't have that speed and power combination. So if he can continue to get better, we're, we're looking at a, you know, a, a potentially elite big 10 linebacker, if he can get continue to get better. But I mean, he was just having his way with linemen, skill guys, everything. Now in terms of the depth, that's going to be a huge issue because behind Jennings and, Powell, there's not a lot of experience. I mean, Austin Dean, he looked okay. Uh, again, he got targeted in coverage, but for the most part, like I, I think he's a little. He could use a little bit more time, and then beyond him, I'm not sure who else they even played snaps at linebacker. Uh, they had the 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 walk on Vince on the depth chart, so it'll be curious to see if if these guys can stay healthy. That's fine, but as we've seen the last two years, Fog and Fatokasi both got hurt. And then the team really took a took a nosedive because either they had to play hurt or they had to go to their backups. Uh, so, I mean, depth is going to be a huge issue. Hopefully these guys can get some snaps in the early season. And if the defensive line can play like they played, the role and responsibilities of the linebackers is going to get a lot easier. That's where the injury of Moses Walker comes into play as well when you look at that Dude. linebacker depth because that, you know, that was a player that Rutgers fans have been excited about. I know I was looking forward to seeing what he could bring. Um, and then you move up front where Rutgers hopes to have that depth. Um, Greg Schiano talked in the preseason at length about hoping he could have you know, eight or nine different players along the defensive line that can contribute over the course of a game. And they were able to cause havoc in that first game. They were. And it was it was impressive to see the different players that contribute. Um, that's another thing. Do you see that being um, sustainable once it comes to the Big Ten? Because I feel like this matchup against Boston College, um, you know, nothing against the schedule last year, but this is the toughest game they've played. And it's a more impressive, it carries a little more weight when you look at the performances, um, especially defensively, than it might have in years past. Yeah, I, I thought that Wesley Bailey obviously popped off the page. He played, he was able to bull rush or speed rush, whatever he wanted by the end of the game. And Boston College's tackles. Uh, you know, for those of you who are familiar with obviously Rutgers, they, they, they kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Rutgers tackle in the past, J.J. Denman, where he kind of has to play tackle because they're, they don't really have other people. But his lateral mobility against speed rushers just wasn't there. I mean, he was more effective as a guard and Shiano has proven well, that he prefers, you know, moving those players interior. Boston College, I think that's what they're going to end up doing. But for this game, they really could not protect at all once Rutgers started bringing you know, the heat. Um, uh, so I, do I think Wesley Bailey is going to be putting up two sacks a game? No. Do I think he's going to be effective, especially if a team is missing a, a starting tackle? Oh, yeah. He's going to be able to do that. 
uh, against, you know, strong guys beyond Wesley Bailey. You know, the one thing that popped off the page was how effective some of these guys like Jordan Thompson, maybe he's 250 pounds like Bailey. I mean, these guys were taking on 310, 320 pound linemen and just bull rushing them. And even though they were giving up 70 pounds in some cases, so is that going to be sustainable? I mean, do I think Iowa's offensive line is stronger? Probably, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Keontae Hamilton had a great game. He was doing whatever he wanted on the inside. He only had one one tackle, but it was for loss. But he had two QB hurries, and he, he was really controlling things in the interior. Um, uh, Aaron Lewis, I wanted to make sure I pointed him out. I've been critical of him in the last couple of years because I thought he played before he was ready. But he was holding the point of attack. He was keeping his pad level low much better than he had in years past. So that's the type of development you want to see from a former four-star prospect where, yeah, he was playing a little early, but now he's really holding the point of attack. And then the guy who I want to make sure I point out deserves some credit. He did not register a stat, but was Rene Conga on the outside. I thought he was in there for his run defense, but man, he had some second level explosion that forced at least two incompletions. It might've been even one of the interceptions where he just turned it from once he went from run support to realizing it was going to be a passing play. He just exploded off the edge. Now, again, will that, we'll see that every game. I'm not sure, but if they can really have this 10 man deep thing, going uh it's going to be go a long way to at least extending games like we talk about Rutgers needs to stay in games with these big time teams Penn State Michigan State Michigan how do you extend the game you keep your defensive line fresh and right now it looks like they're going to be able to do that even if they sustain a few injuries obviously in the Big Ten that's huge with the games being played um in the trenches you mentioned you know a good team with a good passing uh, attack is going to throw for 300 yards but at the end of the day the Big Ten they like to run the ball defensive offensive lines going at each other but looking at this game especially that was a that was the factor I think that was the matchup to watch obviously with Boston College bringing in an entirely new offensive line um, the one lineman they brought back tearing his ACL um, in training camp so really bringing back an entirely new group and Rutgers was able to to exploit that matchup um, is that a is that a case of just uh, you know, one side maybe being better than the other. I have to give coaching a little bit of credit too, as well, being able to find that matchup and find ways to exploit it. Yeah, I think Boston College. I mean, they 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 recruited a pretty high level on the offensive line. They were starting three four star recruits. They had two four stars who weren't even starting. Uh, I don't remember which guys kind of came in off the bench, but they they did try to rotate some guys, and they have a strong tradition on the offensive line. So I do think, from a pure athleticism, speed, and power standpoint. Yeah, I think this is sustainable for Rutgers. But to your point about coaching, I mean, they were confusing Boston College. Djokovic, I mean, anytime he had to reset his feet, like if his feet were set, he completed every pass. But there were several passes. He, if he had to step up in the pocket to the side, he, he if he had to make one adjustment, he was still able to complete the pass. But the times where he had to take two, three adjustments, it was really, really difficult for him. Rutgers was sending Christian Izian from the perimeter, there was a, another corner blitz. I think it was longer beam. It could be wrong. It might have been Braswell, but I think it was longer beam. Just shocked everyone, just exploded and delivered a huge blow on him. Um, and the linebackers were, when they did blitz, they were getting home. Uh, so a lot of that is scheme. But ultimately at the end, when push came to shove, it was a four-man pass rush that was getting pressure. And that's what you need to see for this defense to be successful, uh, especially against a good passing team like that. So, again, I gave the credit to the coaching staff, but we're going to have to see how they perform against another team. It's one game, 
Boston College, you know, has a good tradition, but we have no idea how good those guys are going to be moving forward. But I do think, like we talked about in the pregame, um, it was impossible to know. That was one of the unknowns going into the game. How much have they gelled? How much has Rutgers' offensive line gelled? And pretty much it, it turned out everything we knew about Boston College for certain turned to be accurate. And everything that was uncertain, they didn't pull through. Rutgers, on the other hand, some of those things that were unknowns, they actually stepped up beyond our expectations for that first game. So I think that was a, a big difference you know, as to why so many people got their predictions wrong. I thought personally that Rutgers had a 40% chance to win, and I think that if they play this game 10 times, they only win it four. Maybe now, looking, maybe they win it five or six. But, I mean, it was a one-point game. It, as good as they played, it was a one-point game at the end of the day. And moving on from this game into um, the rest of the non-conference schedule, obviously an FCS team coming up, and not a good one when you look at Wagner. Um, 0-11 last year, they lost their season opener this year. Uh, so I guess the, the main topic of here would be, what is Rutgers going to work on? In a game like this, I feel like it's important, obviously, to work on things that you're not, you're not, might not get a chance to in game-like situations, especially in the second half if this game's a little lopsided. Yeah, so Wagner has, they got a pretty good running back, uh, Sproul. He's quick, so there's going to be some emphasis of making sure that you contain a guy like him. I know Delaware. Last year was kind of the same type of thing where the goal was to contain their skill position guys, which Rutgers did. They've got a pretty good receiver in Simmons, so maybe you put single coverage on him to try to, you know, really test Max Melton, Cass Abraham, some of the other corners, and say, hey, you're going on an island. Let's see what you can do against this guy. He's, he's quick. He, you know, maybe that's an opportunity to say, hey, you're not going to have any help. We'll see what you can do. In terms of the line, it's always a tough call with the defensive lineman because – they're going to be able to bull rush Wagner's offensive line, which is below average even for FCS. So do you tell your defensive lineman, hey, just get in there and tackle people? Or do you tell them, hey, just try to sit down and just kind of build a wall on the interior? I'm not sure what, what you're going to want to do there um, because Wagner's offensive line was getting torched by Fordham. And Nick Nick Kargman, who is their quarterback, who is a one-time Rutgers recruit, um, when given time, Kate can throw the ball. But he just did not have a lot of time. He only completed 13 of 32 passes in his first game. So do you just crank the pressure on him and say, just don't even give him an opportunity or not? I'm not sure. Offensively, it's going to be what kind of chemistry can Simon and Wimsett develop with the receivers? Because we didn't really talk about them in this game because there were not a lot of action. I mean, Taj Harris in limited snaps had the highest pro football focus grade, which I thought was accurate. I mean, one of the things with him is – you can't see it in practice because they don't tackle a lot of times. How quick, when he catches the ball, he can make a move and, and the defense is, is unable to stay with him. So I think he's going to, as the season goes on, he's going to play better. Sean Ryan, I thought, actually played pretty well. I'm sure if he was on Boston College, he would have had a few touchdowns. Um, but developing that chemistry, especially against man coverage, when he can kind of shield himself with his big frame, be interested to see that. Uh, so offensively, I think it's going to be Coming up with ways to 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 build chemistry with the receivers. With the running backs, it's pretty much don't get anybody hurt, right? Rotate their carries. Maybe Samuel Brown gets some reps. Uh, I think he only played one or two snaps in this game. So, you know, just try to get as many people's feet wet as possible. Put the game away early, and then you can rotate whoever you want in the game and, and try to get them experience. The main thing with Simon and Wimsat is just giving them reps, reps, reps. And I think... Protecting them too much by handing the ball off the entire game is not going to be best for their development heading into a game against Temple, who's 
as much as they struggled in their first game, they are way better team than Wagner, obviously. And final question here, Dave. Um, obviously, the, the topic of conversation with Rutgers um, ha- overall has been the bowl game possibilities, right? Since Greg Schiano returned, this program has improved from what it was, obviously, in the previous eras. Um, it's at a point where you look at the schedule and you try to find six wins to get Rutgers in bowl games consistently. This was a huge one. This, when I went through the schedule, the Boston College matchup was one of two X-Factor games, um, with Nebraska being the other one, in my opinion. This was one of them. They got through it 1-0. Is there a way to get to six wins now? There's definitely a, a better chance they have now than if they would have lost the game, obviously. But do you believe there's you know a, a good chance now that Rutgers could find that sixth win? It's tough to say. I, I think... A lot depends on where these other teams are at the time they play them. Like looking at the back of the schedule, Iowa maybe early in the season is you always want to play them early in the season because their offense they got to figure that out. So do I think they'll win? Eh, I don't think it's a win, but it's it, it's going to be a close game. I think that game's going to be a close game. Nebraska, it's entirely possible that they fired Scott Frost a week before the game. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Indiana will be coming off. It'll be, I think, their eighth straight game, eight weeks in a row. So Rutgers is, will be coming off a physical game against Nebraska and a bye week, and they'll be playing Indiana. So I think the timing is going to work out well for that game, even though they're a dramatically improved team. Minnesota, uh, they played a terrible team in their first game. I, I, there's a reason to believe, even on the road, that they, Rutgers will have a chance. I think it'll be kind of like this game, 30%, 40% chance to win that game. So if you can stay close, you're going to have a shot. Uh, Michigan's going to be tough, but you know if they played well within the last two years, I wouldn't say they're probably going to lose. But do they have a mathematical chance to possibly win that game? Yeah, unlike Ohio State, where no. Um, Michigan State, no idea how good they're going to be. Penn State, uh, you would, if Penn State's not playing for anything, maybe Rutgers is. I mean, basically what I'm getting at with most of these games is Rutgers is not going to be favored in probably any of them. But if they can just stay close, you got to figure if you're close in, let's say, six or seven of these games – you should be able to win one or two of them, and that might get you to bowl eligibility, assuming that maybe one game you just everything goes right and you get a win. So do I think that they'll go 6-6 six and six based on what I saw of the state? Probably not, but do I think that they have a good chance to go 5-7 and seven, and if they can sneak one against a team that you know might be reeling, they got a hurt quarterback, coaching change, something like that, entirely possible. So I think that... You know, five and seven is probably more likely than four and eight at this point, but we're going to have to see improved quarterback play for that to happen. Dave, this was great. I appreciate you taking some time today to join me and discuss uh, the week one victory over Boston College. Oh, really appreciate you having me, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon after another victory. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thanks. Thank you again to Dave Anderson for joining me here to discuss the week one victory against Boston College. He will be on over the over the course of all seasons to discuss all things Rutgers athletics, obviously basketball coming, but other programs as well. A longtime friend, longtime contributor to On the Banks, and we look forward to hearing more from him moving forward because there are few that have as much passion and knowledge for Rutgers athletics as a whole when you look at every sport at the university. Going back into the, the victory against Boston College, um, Rutgers now puts themselves in a position to be 3-0 and and hopefully navigate to three more victories to get them into a bowl game. And 
that was as impressive a victory on paper as you'll see. It was it was hard fought. It was ugly. Rutgers was never out of the game. Um, they fell behind by two scores and was able to battle back. Um, obviously, the the extra point, the missed two pointer. There was there was a lot going on against Rutgers early on, but they had to get their legs under them, and that was to be expected. Boston College obviously has to feel like they gave one away. I know fans are probably out there talking about how they blew this game. Uh, Boston College shouldn't have won easily. Um, this game was over, this and that, which is true. So it can be true where Boston College gave a game away, quote-unquote, or blew a game, but Rutgers also came and won it. And the reason I say that is because late in the fourth quarter, 21-15, Boston College on top. The Eagles pin Rutgers inside its own five-yard line, and Rutgers goes 96 yards to score the touchdown that ended up being the game winner. If you're Boston College, it does not matter what happened over the rest of the game. You have a struggling offense inside its own five-yard line, and you let them put together the drive that they did. That was Boston College playing poor defense, and that was Rutgers taking advantage of it and finding ways to win. They put together a drive where they were able to run the ball consistently, and that's what Greg Schiano is going to commit to more is running the football because he saw that he has some talent in that backfield. But before we get there, I want to touch on the quarterback situation because that was the main thing everybody was looking at in the offseason and in training camp. And coming in, we, we learned Saturday morning that Noah Vedral was going to miss the game. So that obviously left Gavin Wimsett and Evan Simon as the options. And it you had to laugh over the first drive because all offseason, Greg Schiano talked about using multiple quarterbacks and how that was a possibility. And then you see three quarterbacks take the first three snaps. I say quarterbacks loosely, obviously with Johnny Langan in there. But three different players take the first three snaps. The team goes three and out. They have to punt. You had to laugh because you really – he's true to his word. That's one thing about Shiano. He's true to his word when he talks about different things that he's going to do. Johnny Langan took the first snap as a run play. Then you see Gavin Wimsett in there and then Evan Simon with the incomplete pass um, on third down that led to the first Adam Corsack punt of the season. So you had to laugh about that. But this is an interesting situation when you look at quarterback play, right? Noah Vedral really has done nothing – over the last two years to win the starting job. He's been very inconsistent. He's been, he showed that uh, he does not have the arm strength or the accuracy. He's good with his legs, but at the same time, he's a great leader. He's a smart football player. He knows the game well, and he's a player that the team can rally around. Gavin Wimsett is that high recruit, that highly touted quarterback coming in that the team can also rally around. And then of course, Evan Simon is, is, just the workhorse. He's in there yeah, every year, not a lot of playing time. He appeared in six games last year, but he's there every day fighting for a spot. And he led the team in completions, led the team in pass attempts. Rutgers only had 110 passing yards in this game, of course, the one interception. So the passing game, there's not much to, to really love. There's not much to expect. But it's definitely going to get interesting as Vedral works his way back because is there a chance that we see three quarterbacks or is there a chance that Vedral and Evan Simon are the two that get the bulk of the work? We kind of assumed that it was going to be Wimsat because of his his nature and his um, his status as a, a recruit. 
but he finished five for nine while Evan Simon was eight for 12. Obviously, Wimsett has the ability to run, and that is the thing that I think might get him on the field because when you look at the three quarterbacks, Evan Simon is not mobile. He could throw the ball a little bit. Wimsett looked like he struggled to throw the ball despite his arm strength. His accuracy was not there. He struggled in the passing game a bit, but he showed the ability to run 40 yards on five carries and obviously broke off that big one in the second half. And then Noah Vedrill is kind of a combination. He's had the time to work with this offense, work with Sean Gleason and Greg Schiano, and lead this team over the last two years. While he's more mobile than – he's a better uh, running quarterback than passer. He's more mobile than he is better with his arm. We we kind of know what Vedrill is, and at the same time, it would be hard to, to just completely take the job away from him. So he will be available in some capacity. So it'll be interesting to see these next two weeks is the perfect time to do so because of their opponents, because of the lopsided nature that these games should be. Again, if Rutgers loses either of these games, it will be a catastrophe because they are very, very low-level teams. Wagner has one win since 2018. Temple looks like one of the, the bottom feeders really in the country in their loss against Duke. While they might not be that bad, they're still not going to be strong. They're in a major rebuilding phase, so Rutgers has a chance to really um, get fat on these two games. And that is something that they should do, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which I won't say dominated on on Saturday, obviously, but looked strong. They looked strong. They looked tough. The defensive line looks like it could play. And that was the advantage coming into the game that Rutgers had, and they were able to, to exploit it. And whether it was coaching, whether it was the players getting fired up because they knew what they were up against, you know, Rutgers, they made the plays. And Pat Garwo, as good of a running back as he is, 1,000-yard guy last year for Boston College, 14 carries for 25 yards. The team had 29 on 28 carries. They really took that aspect of the game away. And you're going to see gaudy numbers. You know, this is college football in 2022. So you look at Phil Jerkovich, 283 yards, three touchdowns. Zay Flowers, 10 catches, 117 yards, two scores. But then you look at Jerkovic, 23 of 41, two picks. Garwell, the leading rusher with 25 yards. You know, fumbles. It, it was just an impressive game all around for Rutgers. And especially on that final three and out, being able to get to the quarterback when the team needed it the most so they could lock down this victory, not even allowing Boston College to get a first down. The way they did that was extremely impressive. The part of the defense that everybody expected to be strong was the secondary, and it's receiving a lot of criticism. I discussed this with Dave earlier because of its performance and some of the numbers that were put up. But it was a bit of an unfair assessment when you look at the overall coverage, especially with the tight end. Sometimes they're going to make plays because of size. Sometimes receivers are going to make plays because of ability. But the Rucker secondary was in good position all night. Max Melton was in good position all night, despite giving up two touchdowns. And admittedly, it was not his best game in a Rutgers uniform. But he was in good position. Those plays are going to be made over the course of the season. And then you look at players like Christian is the end, leading the team in tackles. Robert Longer being coming up with an interception and really showing his progression on the field. Um, Kesson Abraham, there's just a, a long list of players in that secondary who were in position all night and are making plays 
you know, when they need to happen. They're tackling, they're wrapping up, um, and that's the important part for Rutgers. They can't have missed tackles in that secondary as well um, to break longer plays that could be stopped. So, and, and limiting the explosive plays. Flowers scored on a long touchdown once, obviously, but really limiting the explosive plays, whether in the run game or the pass game, is big for this Rutgers defense. Moving forward, to retract what I said a bit, this week we'll have just the one show coming out going over the Boston College game um, as we did today with, again, not a lot of juice going into Wagner. We'll start that back up next week, Tuesday, coming at you with a recap of the Wagner game, hopefully another victory for the Scarlet Knights, and what really should be, again, a lopsided victory moving to 2-0. and Thursday we'll preview the Week 3 Temple matchup as the season keeps moving, so it's a, a again listening to the show, enjoying enjoying the week. Want to know? Um, expect it or not, it's it's an exciting time for Rutgers athletics and getting a victory in the first week of the season adds some more hope to the remainder of the football season. So at this time next week, hopefully Rutgers will be two and zero, and there will be more good things to talk about for the twenty twenty season moving forward. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On The Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On The Banks.